Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm one of your hosts, Marceline Forbus. Before we begin with today's episode, I'd like to reference two articles that are going to be discussed in these conversations. The first article, Growing Pains of Non-Physician Providers in Radiology by author Robert Martin, which was featured in Science Direct. And the second is by Health Imaging called Six Tips of Integrating NPPs into the Imaging Practice by Hannah Murphy. Ms. Murphy's article was based off of the information provided in Mr. Martin's article. So we'll go on ahead and break down Robert Martin's article, Growing Pains of Non-Physician Providers in Radiology. These articles were published in January and the beginning of February, and it was a way of demonstrating how non-physician providers or NPPs can assist in the radiologist's daily workflow. I'd first like to start out by saying one voice does and can matter. After we personally reached out to the authors with some of our key players in our industry, we were able to educate them and help them to understand that our prior RT education and experience, as well as the six universities that offer RA programs, detail out our educational coursework and who we are. We were happy to see that these changes were made after we recorded. First, let me fill you in on some of the back history of these conversations. Our professional name was incorrect in the beginning of these articles, and it was referred to as radiology assistant versus our actual title, which is radiologist assistant. This has since been corrected. In the original format, the RA was referred to as lacking acumen. Basically, what that means is the RA lacked judgment-making abilities, keenness, and quick decision-making processes. It also stated that we were not procedural-based and that we were utilized for providing imaging reports. This was extremely critical to correct, as our profession faces much scrutiny over this type of misinformation. It has since been corrected when we were able to demonstrate our scope of practice and state laws, which were formed by the ACR, ASRT, and ARRT. The state laws and the scope of practice keep an RA from making anything more than an initial observation to and only to our supervising radiologists. We were thankful that this change is now reflected in the article. You'll notice that I mentioned in there that it stated that the RA lacked procedural training. This simply is not true. As an RT, we have more than 3,200 clinical hours of hands-on positioning and patient care. When we enter our RA programs, we will gain an additional 3,200 hours in procedural-based performance as it is related to radiology. We were glad to see that these changes reflect that as well, too. Lastly, and equally as important, the article goes on to describe that one issue is that there is no current radiology-specific standardized training program for NPPs. It goes on to say, the presence of a well-defined training regimen alongside a strict scope of practice clarified by supervising radiologists can make a great efficacy and turnaround with the implementation of a NPP into radiology practices. What's extremely important here to recognize is that the RA encompasses a well-defined training program, as we've just described. We offer more than two years of RT training, work history, 
And then we add an additional two years of RA training that fits this type of regimen. Our scope of practice remains strict and has stayed under the direct guidance of all of our radiology governing bodies and most specifically to fit our radiologist national organization's recommendations. He does, however, recognize that our training and school curriculum is important. However, he goes on to explain additional adaptation of formal RA training and educational programs, such as the current RA graduate school curriculums, can potentially be utilized to provide a well-established organizational and educational structure to other NPPs. All MPPs are designed differently. We all come from different backgrounds. That's what makes us unique. The RA is radiology specific, and the credentials that we hold as RTR behind our names offers us a different level of experience when we enter our master's levels program. We are unique, and that uniqueness is monumental to the services we provide to our communities, our patients, and our radiologist cohort. The emphasis moving forward should be to incorporate increased awareness and utilization of the already proven, trained, and tested radiologist assistant and advocating more for our profession. We hope that you enjoy today's conversations and episodes. Thank you all so much for listening. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm Reese, and I have with me Marceline. Hello, everybody. All right. So if any listeners out there have been listening and picking up other podcasts dedicated to radiology. Odds are you've heard about our guest we have with us this evening. We have joining us on today's episode, Kristen Beinschroth. Thank you. We are so excited to have you on because I'm a big fan, big fan on some of the social media posts that you are putting out there because I feel like I would have been much more involved. You're the type of instructor who makes learning fun. Thank I, you. Right? My gosh, you can reach people on that level and just connect with them and make it fun, make it learning, engaging people. And so uh, I'm just so happy to, I'm a little starstruck. Right? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm mm. super happy to have you on. And to our listeners, like I said, if you haven't checked out other podcasts, she's on a number of them. I'm just waiting for the Prof B podcast to start. And honestly, I serve on a board and one of the other board members is like, you have to do a podcast for us now. I've really thrown it around, but there's so many good ones out there. And I don't know if I have any new perspective to bring. So we'll see. You do. Right. You have the educational one. So you got Roosevelt and them with catheter jockeys where they kind of hit the fun stuff that we get to do. You got Reese and I who do more of the serious advocacy, reaching out to professionals and learning what we do. There is an educational one that is definitely open and sure. you can always add advocacy to it. I know. And advocacy is my big, big, big thing. So I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. I mean, honestly, I'm just kidding myself if I think I'm not going to do it, but I got to get through my, my school. Let me fill our listeners in. If you don't already know, she started out her career in radiology, attending the bachelor's program at the California State University, Northridge, to become an RT and graduated in 2011. After working for seven years in radiology and education, she went back to get a higher level of education and attended the Master's of Public Health program at California Baptist University, and she finished that up in 2020. 
She became a certified health education specialist and is now pursuing her PhD in health sciences at the Liberty University and starts her dissertation process this upcoming fall. Yikes. It's cumbersome. I went hard, like hard, hard. I was like, I want to get this done. And I did. I started last summer and I'll finish this summer with my classes. And then I start dissertation and hopefully I can do that in a year. That's my goal. That's a great goal to have. You're going to rock it. You're going to do great. As of right now, Kristen is currently working as an assistant professor at the Cal Baptist in the bachelor's rad tech program. Aside from educating students, she is also spreading the word, getting people interested in radiology, which is huge. That's what we need right now. She has a number of social media accounts, and we are going to provide the links. Can you rattle some of them off for me real quick? Okay, she's rad on Instagram. And on TikTok, I'm Rad. To our listeners, if you want to reach out and contact Kristen, if you're having uh, issues studying, want to have tips and tricks on how to do something, she's got a lot. And I was like, my gosh, this is so helpful. She does an amazing job tapping into the social aspect to help everyone out. And it's all free. It's all at your fingertips. So go check it out. And just recently you posted about attending ACERT. Did you get an award? I did. I didn't know that I was going to get it either. Usually I feel like they would tell people, but I got the Elsevier Faculty Development Scholarship from the ACERT organization which is going to help me with my PhD. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. I know it's very well-deserved because of everything you're doing. Thank you. Kristen, I want to know how you got your start in radiology. Kind of walk us through what brought you into the industry, what helped you kind of succeed along the way. I was a hardcore overachiever in high school. And when I reached senior year, I was like, I am not going to college. This is going to happen. And I was working at Hot Topic at the time. Really great job for a teenager. The best job I've ever had. Formative years of my life. They would pay for certain classes. So I was just taking classes to kind of stay on my parents' insurance and because my work paid for them at the community college. And I did that for about three years. And I quit my job at Hot Topic, started bartending, realized that that was not a life I wanted to live long term. I kind of got serious and I said, okay, I've tried everything. I tried business. It wasn't for me. I'm good at math. I did that route. And I was like, I'm not going to be a math teacher. That sounds boring. I started kind of thinking about what mattered to me. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 16. And at that point, she was a single mom. My brother was already out of the house. So I was really her primary caretaker. And I got to see all the different parts of it. And so I said, well, I kind of want to do something that gives back like that. Because her breast cancer was caught really early on a mammogram. I said, I want to be a mammographer. I want to go do that. I applied to Cal State. I had another year of prerequisites and then another year before I could get into the program. The really nice thing about Cal State Northridge is they have all the advanced imaging modalities included in their bachelor's program. So I got to train in radiography the first year. Then in your second year, you do CT, MRI, cardiac interventional, and vascular interventional, and you get all the didactic for it and everything. And then at the very end, you can do mammography as an elective. And so the whole time I was like, this is my stepping stone. X-ray is just going to get me to here. And then I got to mammography. I loved the class. Then I went to go do my squishes, as we call them. It's like, this is not for me. After about seven and a half years, uh, just kind of dawdling and finally finishing my degree, I came out as a rad tech and I do radiography. 
Thankfully, I fell in love with x-ray and all the other modalities along the way because my plans were totally different by the end of my program. I started working as a technologist. I did about five years in the field and I got an email from my program director and she said, there's a one-year temporary contract at a community college. This is really good for anybody that wants to get into teaching. And so I applied for it and then they turned me down. The program director that interviewed me and the program director that I graduated underneath, they ran into each other and they said, did you hire Kristen? She said, well, no, we chose not to. And she said, you just made a huge mistake. And so based on that one informal recommendation from the right person, they brought me on and I haven't stopped since then. I've been teaching for nine years. I've been a technologist for 11 years. And I actually left the radiography world in 2017 to teach full time. So that's what I've been doing. It's tough. I miss the way you can just clock out and leave it at work as a technologist. I really miss that. And I miss patients. I miss shooting. But it's in my future. I'm going to go back to it. But thankfully, I love, 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 love teaching. As much as I think I'm a good technologist, I think I'm a bangerang teacher. I think that that's just where I belong and that's what I should do. So that's how I got here. All because of my mom, pretty much. That brings up what Reese and I always say. It's who you know. It's making those connections. It took one person to make a recommendation that really changed the path of your career. Yeah. And it's funny. So that person just retired and they had this big party with all of the alumni and everything. They had everybody in that room raise their hand if that person's word had gotten them a job. So if they had provided a letter of recommendation and there was so many hands up in that room. It's just awesome. You know, real powerhouse person. And I just am still trying to emulate her all these years later. I had a question. Yeah. Social media. Is that just something that you decided to do on your own and develop? You know, when TikTok came out, I really like TikTok because it's just something I can do at the end of the day. I just cry laughing and it's wonderful. So I saw a lot of teachers out there kind of telling their story. A friend of mine, so Roseboat, I was a big fan of the podcast, Catheter Jockeys, and then we kind of became friends. And he said, you should do this. Like you have really good content. You have good videos. And what happened is I was posting some stuff on my private Instagram and I'm a pretty private person. And he said, can you make it public for a second so I can share it? I've made my profile public for like 30 minutes and the anxiety that rushed over me was so intense. I was like, I can't do this. He kind of guided me to make a business Instagram, which was still very vulnerable, very, very vulnerable. It's been really positive. And so I started with kind of the history, just kind of interesting facts. You know, when was x-ray discovered? How did it happen? And then a lot of my non-radiology friends were like, this is really interesting. I don't know anything about your job, but this is really interesting. Then I started to hear from my students and then they latched on to it. And it's funny because at the ACER conference this week, somebody was talking about one of the things they do in their class is they have like meme competitions. So like take this topic, go in groups and whoever can come up with the best meme to describe Bremsstrahlung radiation or whatever. It's just a way to connect with students. I'm a little old now. I'm old enough to be my student's mom at this point. And it's a way to connect with them outside of the classroom, inside of the classroom. One of the things that students have told me from the beginning is I was studying for the ART exam and I realized, you know, remember that one time you said about static and the balloon or something like that? I really, I remembered that. 
and they were so excited about it. So I've always kind of prided myself on silly metaphors that help you remember stuff. So now I put them on TikTok and it helps me to connect with a whole lot of people that I wouldn't normally connect with. It's been fun. It's still a little weird, a little vulnerable. I got recognized in an elevator recently by another radiology nerd. It's weird and it's fun and it's new and I'm trying it and it's working out. That's awesome. I don't know how to work TikTok. Matter of fact, I learned how to say it right probably about a week ago, Reese. Yeah. You know, I'm not real creative. I'm not great with editing. I'm really not. not You are creative. I would have never thought Mm -hmm. to use a coconut Mm -hmm. as a demonstration. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. I was like, Somebody well, gave me the idea to yeah. use a honeydew to practice BE tipping. And I was like, that's what's going to happen in the fall. Because the inside where the seeds are, you can inflate the balloon. And then yeah. you can pull it out and check. I don't let people tip my BEs. And I'm going to tell you why. And for okay. technologists who do tip BEs. Um, and Reese, I don't know if you have them tip your BEs or not. I tip my own. So there's a couple of reasons I like to tip my own BEs. One. I don't want a patient laying on the table waiting for me longer than they need to with a tip. That is so uncomfortable. Number two, there are things that whenever you're tipping a patient, you can tell that are abnormal and normal Mm -hmm. and the fill when you're tipping. And I know when I feel like I'm in the right place and can I blow up the balloon? There are so many giveaways whenever you're inserting that tip that are extremely important. We talk about the angle, right? So going towards the belly button. And then once you're in straightening out and I have some pictures of like perforations that have happened from a BE tip. Yeah. I tell my students, I'm like, they're my all-time favorite exam. If you feel resistance, stop. Like I'll say, guys, you got to get in there. You got to feel this. And I will literally have them hold the tip and I'll put my hand over theirs so they can feel the pressure and the resistance, what's expected, what's not expected. And then I'll say, and then watch what happens when you squeeze that balloon up. It's going to seat itself. It's going to slide in a little further. It's great. It's good to go. Another thing I would always stress, especially when you're trying to evaluate a colorectal anastomosis, the, that's planning an ostomy reversal. Mm-hmm. When you check your scout, I'm always looking for that suture, the anastomotic suture ring. And a lot of these, we'll just go ahead and get away with the intimate tip altogether. Mm-hmm. And then we'll place like a 10 French Foley catheter instead, just to keep the risk of any injury to that area minimal as possible so that they can go get their ostomy reversed and have a successful surgery. We don't want to have to start them all over again. I do same thing, Reese, whenever I teach students. I love teaching our students the craft of tipping. Same thing when you meet resistance, as long as your angle is right, like you explained, if your patient is tense, it makes it hard. So what I do is I just sit there for a couple of seconds and I tell the student or the tech that I'm teaching, if you just sit and you keep that gentle pressure, not pushing, when they relax, it'll automatically slide in. So there's a couple of tricks that you can do without hurting the patient or just giving them a couple of minutes to adjust to what's already going on. And it just takes a couple of seconds. Um, And it makes all the difference to the patient. I can't tell you how many times Reese and I've been thanked after a BE. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you've done a good job. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I don't think I ever got a thank you after a beat. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I get thank, thank yous and handshakes. A lot of them say like, oh my gosh, that was not as bad as I thought it would be. Good. That means I did my job well and we can all go about our day here. Yeah, that's a compliment of a lifetime. I'll take one of those. 
So obviously, Reese and I are doing this podcasting, kind of learning about our profession, learning about who we all are in the industry, working towards advocating and getting to know our profession, and you work with students. How does advocacy look to you towards your students? What is their thought process on advocacy and involvement? Is that a conversation you guys have? It's a conversation I have all the time because I bleed advocacy. I've been super involved even as a student. I was going for RT in DC, lobbying for the CARE bill. So I'm actually about a year into a three-year prospective study on professional values in my students. The thing that they rated the lowest so far is political advocacy and basically getting involved with legislation. So that is going to help me inform kind of my practice, but also hopefully practice in general, if it's statistically significant, of how to kind of reach students. I don't have a great answer. I don't know why it doesn't matter to the current generation, but I try to do my best to just model it. So I'm highly involved with my state affiliate. I'm highly involved with ASRT. I sit on a ton of committees. A big part of why I'm on social media at all is to get the word out that we're not considered professionals and how to move towards that. Think that students today, especially Gen Z, they tend to think about the now much more than they think about the future. I know it's really hard to kind of think so big and so broad, but, you know, one of the things we touch on in class is we didn't get venipuncture until 1991. And that took ACR involvement, ASRT, JRCERT, all of these organizations getting together. And then five years later, they said, sure, you guys can do venipuncture. It wouldn't have happened. I mean, think about if we still had to get a nurse to start every single IV for every single CT scan. It's just unreasonable. It's not going to happen if we don't say it. If you think about nursing, I mean, nursing staff in one hospital will be hundreds. They have the numbers to show up at a capital and say what they need to say and get people to listen to them. And you're an MD, you show up in your white coat and everybody listens to you. With technologists, there's only 375,000 technologists across the entire country. About half of them are involved in the ASRT, even smaller amounts in the state legislation. And what's happening is our job is getting stolen out from under us. They're taking away licensure, licensure that we fought so hard. When I lobbied for the CARE bill, it was 2011 and 2012. There was still 12 states that didn't have any licensure whatsoever at that time. Now we're down to eight. Just recently, like Tennessee, they're just going to mm-hmm. say, we don't need a licensing board. What licensure does is it provides an enforcement mechanism. There are guidelines. There are federal guidelines for who is a qualified technologist and what type of education and training you need and all of these. But if there's no incentive to follow the guidelines, and sometimes an incentive is a negative one, like a penalty, I feel like that's such a great question because I don't know how to get students really involved. We were really involved. We went to every conference. You know, now I might have two students go to a conference that's in the same town as us. We have so much encroachment. In California, a few years ago, PAs got the ability to do fluoro with a very, very small amount of training. So this is a great kind of turnaround story, but it's in the California licensure that they can do it with a minimum amount of information. But this is how where RTs show up. There are no schools that will provide the education that they need. We also have a new bill that just passed as part of a group 
it was actually part of the recall election. And so it passed very quietly and it's an earn and learn bill. So clinical students would be paid for their clinical internships, which I love the idea of getting Mm -hmm. more people to go back to school and you can get paid for it. And that's great. However, our accreditor, JCERT, they have very clear lines that say you cannot be paid as a student because then students will replace competent technologists and that's bad for patients and for students. That bill passed. However, the California Department of Public Health has said, nah, we're not going to enforce that. Even when we lose, right? We kind of lost a battle and it passed. There are still ways that you can make it happen or make it not happen. I think that's kind of an untapped market. What happens if we just try to say no? You know, it came up at a cert too, and ASRT is aware. Also, we don't have RA licensure in California. Let me tell you, we still have an RA program. It's going through, I know. Did you know that I came out and worked on legislation, flew out to California with Leo Baca and Simon oh, and yeah. all of them and worked on legislation with them in 2010? We've been trying in California to yes. pass RA licensure since 2010. And Isn't my fingers are crossed it'll happen. Meredith Check from ASRT, she announced when I was at Leadership Academy last year, she announced that ASRT is taking over the California RA fight finally coming in and saying like, all right, you guys have done enough. And now we're going to come in and really put full force in it. Our president of our California society is an RA. And we're about 10 years behind everybody else in our technology, in our advocacy, in our licensure. I mean, our licensure bills are still pretty old and there's a lot of extraneous stuff in there. So like in California, you have to have a venipuncture certificate to start an IV as a tech. In the bill, it said we can inject contrast. Well, it's a known fact that if you're starting at IV, you have to flush with saline to be able to see if it's a patent line. When they put the word saline in the law, nurses lost their mind. They get totally hosed as technologists. When I was working as a tech, I worked at a union hospital. We weren't even lumped in with clinical. We were skilled maintenance, as they called us. So we had kind of a set dues base or they could do prorated based on our salary. All of the other clinical specialists said, no, we want this set. We're going to pay set dues. That's what's fair. But because we were with the skilled maintenance group, that particular portion of the group chose to use the prorated amount because it lowered their union dues quite a bit. And then it tripled technologists union dues because it's based on our salary. And because we made more than EDS, I went from paying, I don't know, like maybe 110 bucks per paycheck in union dues up to like 360 because we were lumped in with the wrong group, a group that did not represent our professional practice, our direct hands-on patient care, none of that. And again, because we're a small group, we weren't loud enough to make a stink. That's the stuff that I get really like fired up about and salary and all of just all of the things with technologists getting the hose over and over. And we do. You know, that's some of the challenges we face and we see on a, you know, day-to-day basis some of the topics that we're trying to voice and make known and spread like wildfire, uh, a lot of the things that we're trying to hit. And some of the episodes we've just recently recorded are trying to do just that. But is there anything from what you're seeing? Is there anything that's affecting the students? Or are they just trying to put blinders on and get through? Is that their goal is to finish and then find a job? I think when you're a student, it's the feeling of you're not one of us yet. And so I'll get to that later on. I'll become an advocate once I'm a technologist. And I think the truth is that if you don't start off as a student, you're not going to keep the momentum. 
So one of the things that we're trying to do in California is to get students active in the state affiliate while they're students. And then we're offering like a graduate bridge membership so they can pay a cheaper dues that first year. You don't get it unless you're a student first. I think the things that are affecting them are the things that are affecting everybody. Mental health coming out of COVID. We're seeing a lot more barriers in education. So cost is going up. And the expectations are really high and textbooks cost a lot of money. They're like, well, I paid $500 for my textbook. I can't afford that $50 to go to that conference or pay $30 for my student ASRT membership. But I think I think it's just kind of a disconnect. So what we did is we actually changed in California. We had some really serious conversations about, you know, students are half our population in our affiliate. Should they be able to vote just like technologists can? And we think that if we do that, there's a chance that they might get more involved and then stay involved and feel connected. If you're not working in the field yet, I can understand where it feels like it doesn't impact you, but it will soon. So hopefully we can encourage them to get involved now. It's tough. It's a tough time to be a student. I was of the type is like, I'm focusing on this right now. I'll come to that later. I'm guilty of that argument. But now, you know, I'm hoping to correct the error of my ways of not jumping in sooner. I get it. I was busy. Yeah, I think I was just like them. I didn't care to advocate because it doesn't affect me. I just want to make my paycheck, take care of my patients and do what I need to do. I went that route for several years until I wanted to go to the RA program. I was a little bit different than a lot of people. I knew entering that there was a divide. So I knew early on in my career, this is potentially something that's going to happen. And when I sat down with Bhavna to become an RPA, she told me, if you're not willing to fight for the profession and stand up for what you believe in, maybe this isn't for you. Wow. Absolutely right. So whenever I started, she got me involved and took me under her wing. And I still was involved, but until it came to you're going to lose your job. And now I've spent this X number of years in my education and money. And then that was kind of where I got my advocacy from. I'm very upfront, but I'm also very educated. You know, I think that taking people under our wings to teach them that advocacy component, I taught myself how to read legislation, how to look at a bill and see how is it really going to affect me? But I can promise you, if you put a law down in front of me, I can break it apart for you and tell you what you can and can't do. It's super, super important for people to understand that because your job is always on the line, always. And it took me realizing that I thought it was just mine that was going to be on the line. But then as I got more into advocacy and I started looking at things, it's so much bigger than me. To everybody. Yeah. I understand like the kind of disconnected thing, but I don't know. I think I'm just a fiery old woman. Like I have a very strong mom and just really good, solid parents. And my husband is pretty outspoken and confident. And I'm not. I'm very much an introvert, but I read a ton and I'm well-educated and I love to learn. And the more I learn, the more I'm just flabbergasted and amazed and unsettled that there's so many things that are kind of threatening much of the profession, but especially the RAs right now. And it's just can't stand back and just be like, man, it's not us. I'm like, it's all of us, though, because Again, it's like a domino. If one thing happens, all of these other things are just going to happen right afterwards. But I will say I had a really hard time doing a podcast. 
really hard time because I didn't want to hinder us. It's different when you're fighting for yourself. It's really hard when you're fighting for a group of people and you don't want to damage them. And so I can see where people not wanting to advocate can be really intimidating because you don't want to hinder what you're working on. That's exactly what we felt when we started this podcast. We don't want to do anything to damage the traction we're gaining. And so we just had to kind of figure it out along the way, which I think we have. I think we've done a good job of it. Um, That's half the job is knowing how to play the game. We took all of y'all to throw under the bus with us. If we're going (laughs) down, we're taking our guests with us. (laughs) At least we went for a good cause. Right. (laughs) I'll go down in that fire. I'm okay with it. I did have a question. During your course in the clinical setting, did you ever come across an RA like working with them? I do have a colleague, though, that was an RA. We didn't hire that person for the RA. But again, it's kind of tricky. We're fairly limited to just straight up imaging. And then radiation therapy is even getting smaller. We only have two schools left in California for radiation therapy, and they only take about eight students a year each, which is insane. Our past president of the California Society is a therapist. And so we've been really working towards being more inclusive. We brought in ultrasound, we brought in therapy, we brought all of the different types of diagnostic and therapeutic. And that's one of the things we're trying to do too, is bring us all back together. We got really siloed when we got specialized. And unfortunately, even in the same hospital, it's like you go to CT, it's like, well, you're on a different team. That's one of the things we're trying to do in California is bring everybody back together. And that's how we're going to get the numbers that we need to get people to listen to us as well. Well, anything that we can do to help advocate, we will. Is the RA something you talk about during your education lesson plans? Yeah, I do. Actually, I talk about some kind of lesser known. So one of the big ones I focus on is forensics. That's something I'm super interested in is forensic radiology. But I also talk about RAs and I always have a couple students each year that are like, wow, I would totally do that if I didn't live in California. And I was like, get out of here. Go do this <laughs> or I, wait a few years. <laughs> I, I had everyone in the world tell me, oh, you're never going to find a job. All it means is like, I know I'm going to have to move once I pass my boards. And sure enough, I moved and I got a job and I got experience. And now I have a different job. There's jobs popping every week. It's great that we're finally getting to that point. I'm glad that there's some some students getting interested because that's that's how I was, you know. I actually had that comment today. There's a brand new tech that's being trained. He goes, hey, what's your name? I was like, hey, I'm Reese. He goes, okay, cool. Uh, How long you been shooting x-rays? I was like, well, I've been doing this for 10 years or so. And he goes, oh, that's awesome. And uh, he goes, well, do you just go do portables or you, do you work a room? I was like, oh, no, I'm an RA. No, that's what I do here. And he goes, oh, you're an RA? Uh-huh. I've never seen one in the wild. It's always the same comment. You're like the first I've met. I've never seen one before. Yes. Like, or you do exist. That, it's really nice to see that because I'm like, oh, I, I didn't think RAs were even a thing anymore. And they can see that as like, this is a lot different than working with a radiologist because a lot of people say, oh, working with a radiologist is so, it's so intimidating. Being able to be like, no, like we come from the same ground. So we, we can connect and we can work together and, and they, they really enjoy it. That's actually something I never really thought about either is like the relationship that you have with technologists versus what rads have with technologists. Because yeah, it is, it is intimidating, you know. Yeah. I say it all the time, especially on some difficult, complex cases that I do. I just look at my tech and I was like, I know this is going to suck, but we got to do it. I really need to get this perfect lateral. 
And I'll tell you why later, but I really need some help getting this perfect shot just so I can answer this question. You probably get better buy-in too, because we do have a certain respect for people that are willing to get in the trenches with us and do it. And to know that like you've been there, you can back it up. Like I, yeah, it's something I never thought about. So I've worked with an RA. It's cool. Come check us out. Put some scrubs on. We'll give you a little shadow. Well, there's a natural kind of pathway. One of the technologists that I used to work with went back to school and became a PA just as really wanting to be a part of advanced practice and wanted to kind of go the next step. And so a lot of students really get interested when I tell them about it. And what I'm trying to convince them of is like, California is a very specific culture and it's hard to leave. I'm born and raised here. I would have a hard time leaving. But I'm just like, don't limit all of your opportunities just because California doesn't recognize licensure yet. You know, if RA is something that you feel called to do, go and do it and then work wherever you can work. You know, that kind of bravery, that backbone to leave and try something new. You know, it's hard. Again, that's the resilience thing. Um, Angela Duckworth talks about grit, how it's a combination of drive or initiative and resilience. If the drive isn't there, then the resilience isn't going to come. I have one right now that's getting ready to graduate in April that's really interested in it. I hope that they go that path. Very cool. Now that we're hitting the, the really fun and inspiring topics, I hope we didn't lose everybody back when we were talking about enemas earlier, you know. Come for the enemas, stay for the advocacy. There's another t-shirt for you. Oh, there you go. Come for the enemas, stay for the advocacy. So what is one thing that as you kind of look at our industry and you've heard our past podcasts, which, by the way, I want to know how you ended up hearing about us in the first place. What are some of the the key takeaways that you're hoping to see for the future of our profession? Just in the conversations that we've all been having. First of all, just call me a dang professional. Oh, my God, I'm so tired of being a technician. Get that word out of your mouth. Call me a technologist. First of all, talk about your job. Talk about your job to everybody you can because so many people, I do a tons of like high school career fairs. So many people don't know we exist. I would love for people to know that we exist. We are not nurses. We are not doctors. And then that the youth, the ones who are still vibrant and full of energy and full of fire and have so much less shame. What I love about Gen Z is they're like, I'm not here for the shame. I'm here for taking ownership and living my life. And so take that. And then go get something that's worth it, which is, first of all, national standards for licensure and certification of technologists. Get the labor board and INS to call us professionals and then just keep it going. We're on a really good roll promoting medical imaging and radiation therapy, promoting all the things that we do, all the things that we can do. You know, in education, we have this huge thing right now, interprofessional education, getting nurses and physicians and rad techs and respiratory therapists and SLPs all together and doing simulations and training and learning from each other before you go and have to work together in the future, right? Because we're going to be working with all these people, but you don't have any interaction with them until after you've graduated. I would love to see that element that we've figured out really well in education translate to practice. Because I think that there's still a lot of us and them, not a ton of collaboration. So I think I heard about you probably from catheter jockeys, I would imagine, just kind of running in that circle. And then I really liked the name because collaboration is the whole reason that I started my social media is to just meet new people and find things that we have in common and connect. 
And then I found out that y'all are serious. Like you're not just doing the podcast. You're not just talking about the podcast. You're doing it. You're getting out there. Like you're giving a voice to the voiceless. RAs have this weird in-between where you are advanced from a technologist. You're not a physician. So the techs kind of seen you as an other. And then the physicians see you as an other. You're in this spot where you have these really unique qualities and these unique gifts that can be used. And yet you come up against so much opposition and so much adversity, which I just think is silly. That's how I found out about you. I'm a hippie at heart. I just want everybody to love each other and be peaceful and do right by each other and do the right thing. And remember that the number one thing is the patient. So if an RA can provide a higher level of care than somebody that the patient would come interact with and they have better bedside manner, then let them do it. Let's provide that pathway. And we just need to stop putting up so many barriers, start breaking them down a little bit and supporting each other. There's a lot of parts to it. So I think my second day of clinical, I realized I was like, oh, everybody hates us. Everybody hates radiology and they hate lab. And you know why? Because they got to wait on us to be able to move forward with what they want to do for their patient. And I understand. And then the other side is we do not learn about each other's professions at all. The more that we can interact with each other and learn about each other, the better we'll be able to utilize each other, make everybody's job a little bit easier, and then the outcome so much better for the patient. But we have to, first of all, we just have to learn about each other. We have to be willing to listen. And us too. I mean, I don't know everything a nurse does. I don't know everything an RA does. I don't know everything an NP does. But the more I learn, the more likely I am to see moments that I can collaborate with them or see moments where maybe I can teach them something and they can teach me. And it's just a matter of kind of undoing what we've done for so long. Right. I've seen nurses come down with their patient and they see what we can do. And a lot of them are like, oh my gosh, y'all are rock stars. I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you did that. Exactly. I hear it over and over and over. Even on this podcast, we're bringing on other modalities that I know nothing about. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like you said, all this bickering and slander and back talk just bringing us down. And the RA is like a life preserver. So I'm a mom, as a mom, as a wife, as a teacher, I'm constantly looking at the why. And if you can't tell me the why, I'm not going to buy into it. So I think that one of our hindrances is that we have forgotten the why. So like, why do we show up every day? We take care of patients. Well, why do we take care of patients so that we can provide optimal care? Well, why do we provide optimal care? It's just all of these things, but we forget the why. This is one of the barriers the students face. And if we all just took 14 seconds to think about the why more often, I think that we would accomplish so much more. We've lost the why in the process of the how. And I I think that that would be a big help if we could just remember the why. I think the big thing, too, is you're talking about the why. Papers or articles such as recent are being published that are inaccurate. Uh, So as you look at it, it's blatantly obvious. Okay, yeah, it's blatantly obvious that it's not accurate, right? The other thing that you're having is now we're social media. People will believe whatever they hear. Certain articles have zero documentation that support anything that they say. And there's actually facts and documentation. You can Google any one of the schools that you want to and see what our education is. You can go through and look at the guidelines for us. We follow them. You can look at state legislature that it says in there that we cannot practice without a supervising physician, radiologist specifically. 
And it also says in there that we have to follow, you know, our state scope of practice or whatever it may be in that time. Some states are different. You have to follow different guidelines. The fact of the matter is all of that is factual information. So why is everybody taking what somebody says is going to happen or is happening that is actually not happening? We've been around for how many years? I've been doing it 17. I haven't taken a radiologist job yet, but I've watched them flourish and hire. I can actually tell you it's quite opposite. So it just amazes me that people go in and they take what somebody says as pertinent information. When did we as a society stop looking at the facts? But I think what's so scary about that particular article is that is a peer-reviewed journal. And the peer review process, I just published something. It took a year and a half. The peer review process is meant to be rigorous and to make sure that there's not crap getting published in peer-reviewed journal articles. And that is a peer-reviewed journal article that it came out in. And that is terrifying to me. You know, evidence-based medicine is this big thing now. And it's all about relying on your professional expertise and your experience, the data bank of literature that is out there. All of these different articles are not meant to be viewed individually. They're supposed to be viewed as like a meta-analysis. Problem is in our society where we have to have an answer right now for anything you want at any time, because I have a computer in my pocket all the time. We forgot how to investigate the answer. I just need a quick answer right now. Unfortunately, it has made us ill-informed a lot of the time. That really scares me. When that article came out that posted, I was like, I'm going to throw up right now. Because from the looks of it, totally peer-reviewed, a good journal name. And then you realize you're like, oh, this is appears to not be full of crap and is so full of crap. It's insane. Not only that, if you search us with the name that we were called the wrong name, radiology assistant. So if you search us with that, it doesn't pull up. That's going to look like a transporter. Like that. Yeah, it, we have radiology it assistants like all the time the and they're called transporters. Get the patient, call the ba- patient back into the room and help them change into a gown. Exactly. You know, it just, it's just disheartening because I think people don't realize what they say. You don't realize the magnitude that it affects people. And if you're going to say it, at least say the right information. Put the truth out there. I am very much data-driven and factual-based. When I speak, I speak with confidence because I know what I'm talking about. I will not allow anyone to sway me until I get the facts. If you tell me something such and such, okay, that's very interesting. I will go and I will look it up and I will draw my own opinion, educated, based off of what I can find that is actual, factual data. What schools offer it? How is their education training? Let me call someone who works with one. What are your thought processes on this? How does this individual work? Is this something that has benefited your practice? It's hard. We don't get to speak for ourselves as often as we should. You know, all these these other people that don't know anything about us speak for us. And then people listen, unfortunately. And they do it to the x-ray text, too. MRI oh, yes. Everybody's making oh. decisions for us, but us. <laughs> yes. That's why it's important to advocate when stuff goes south. You can at least say, like, I tried. I did my best. I presented the evidence. I provided data. I said the why. Because then if that ship goes down, at least I can sleep <laughs> on the way down. One last question I have for you is, what do you hope that this podcast does? Is there any advice that you have for us moving forward? Ooh, I hope this podcast keeps going strong with just as much momentum as you've brought this last year. 
I hope that people learn something from it and that the way you exude advocacy, I hope that other people do that and model that after you and that you provide kind of that inspiration or that person. I hope you keep going with the momentum. I hope that RA licensure in California happens. I hope that ASRT steps up with um, everything they say they're going to help with to get some better advocacy efforts and public relations. You know, they have big public relations campaign, just educating people that we exist and what we do and our value. And I hope that we can all kind of ride that wave and keep going the way we're going. All right, Kristen. Well, I absolutely loved getting to visit with you. I watching you on your social media. You educate me, even though I've been doing it for 23 years. There's always a new way to learn how to do what it is that we do. You're teaching us on things that we may not be the up and up on. You know, you're teaching us some of the newer ways of doing things. Technology's changed. My way is old. So you're teaching me a new way. I really, really appreciate your reach, your advocacy, showing up and doing that for the profession because I think it's huge. I think getting us out there getting our faces seen, getting people to know who we are and what we do is going to do some phenomenal things. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on and be the celebrity on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know about the celebrity, but I'll take it. Thank you. This is great. This is very fun. Reese, thank you for coming on. You know, it's always a pleasure to one, not only get to work beside you, but also to get to do this with you. So thank you for coming on with me tonight. Absolutely. I had a great time and I can finally check off the bucket list of getting to sit and chat with Prof B because I get inspired watching her, her reels. This is, this is a feel good. It hits home because I love radiology so much. I want other people to feel the same way. So being able to inspire others, it's a huge deal. And so I thank you for doing that. You've inspired me and hopefully our listeners are going to go check you out and be like, yeah, this is exactly what we need. Hopefully to talk to you again soon. Be sure to check us out on our social media. We have LinkedIn. We also have Twitter. We have Facebook. I really want to say thank you to everybody. And of course, we always love our listeners. Thank you everybody for tuning in. You guys have a wonderful night. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.